thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. I'm going to be in two, two parts of the Bible. First of all, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and then Psalm 2. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and then in Psalm 2. You don't have any notes because it's going to be... We're going, to, we're going to go through Second Chronicles, and if you want to put a title on any note sheet that you're using, Rules of Engagement, we'll talk about spiritual warfare, and we will continue to teach about it for another five weeks. Um, it's, all the classes going on out there, it was 11 weeks, so we plan to do spiritual warfare for 11 weeks. There's so much said about it in the Bible that we can approach it from so many different angles. And uh, but we're going to talk about the rules of engagement. I think we have it laid out for us in Second Chronicles chapter 20. But first, before we go there, even I want us to look at Psalm 2, Psalm the second Psalm in the Bible. I want to read that, and we're just going to take some note of some of the things that are said there. Psalm 2, if you want to look at that. Uh, do that. How's everybody doing? Fine? You're awful quiet tonight, so it's hard for me to figure out how you are doing. <laughs> Don't leave it up to me to figure that out, how you are doing. So, uh, Psalm 2, let's, let's look at that first. I was going to read it as I got in the middle of Second Chronicles, but maybe we'll just look at this because we'll be able to reference it then. Uh, later on uh, in Psalm 2. Oh. I, uh, you, you won't believe what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, I have to tell you. I am looking at Proverbs 2 and I'm looking at it and I'm saying, that does not sound like Psalm 2 to me. And I have my glasses on and everything. <laughs> Uh, Proverbs 2 does not look like Psalm 2. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. Lord, help me, Jesus. Uh, all right, there we go. Uh, Psalm 2. Look at it with me. Why do the heathen rage, or the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Who do you think the anointed one is? The Messiah, Jesus, is the anointed one. And um, so taking counsel against the anointed one. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens, who's he who sits in the heavens? God Almighty, our, our Lord, the Creator, shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, note this, and I will give you 
the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and re rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Now, it's obvious to me that this has to do with spiritual warfare. There seems to be this, this contest, if you will, it's, and this contention that constantly is going on in the spiritual realm. And it really is against the, the forces of evil, against the forces of good, which are the forces of God. And there's always this uh, badgering back and forth, and it's more real than you really believe it is. Uh, there's a lot of insight that we have into that there's a warfare going on in the spiritual realm. And, I, you know, sometimes I say, Lord, open my eyes that I might see a little bit more in that spiritual realm. And then I thought about it, think about it. I don't know if I want my eyes open to see it all. Because it could be a terrifying thing in our flesh to see this. So you better know you're in the spirit when you pray a prayer, Lord, open my eyes that I might see Man, I don't know. You understand what I'm trying to say? It's just all that we might see. I think there's going to be a day when we're going to see a little clearer, a lot clearer, on that day when the Lord returns. But in the meantime, I, I guess I, my prayer should be, Lord, only reveal to me what I can handle. You know, I want to reveal enough that I can handle it and know how to pray and uh, order my steps in his word through it all, but uh, only what I can handle, only what we can handle. And I think the Lord will do that. But keep that in mind as we think there. There's, there seems to be this, this battle that's going on. It's against the Lord's anointed. And I think I said this the last time, believe it or not, three weeks ago, I'm thinking I said this. But you know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not about you. <laughs> when we get in these battles and this warfare that's going on, it really is not so much about us but about our king, who, who the enemy is contesting everything that he puts his hand on, he's trying to challenge and take it back from. Challenges in that area. So think about that when we go. All right, rules of engagement. There's a, uh, actually there's a war college. How many knew that there is a, actually a war college back in the Washington, D.C. area? It's called the War College. And military men officers, mostly officers, uh, that are training for military service and are going to be involved in very areas of, various areas of responsibility, go to this war college. I had the privilege of going to Israel actually with uh, four generals one time. Uh, Cheryl and I were with, with leaders from the country in every field that there was, but there was the military field. So there were four generals that went along with us, a former CIA director, and, and we traveled with them through the land of Israel. And one of them was in charge of the War College. And that's what he did, that was his responsibility. And I found it interesting in my conversations with him or any research I have done on it, that they study former wars. They study men and women, possibly, uh, I remember, but men who have led and were victorious in these former wars. 
They studied their, uh, their, their strategies, if we will. And do you know one that they do study that comes from the Bible? Take a guess who their person in the Bible that they do study. Possible they do, but I'm not thinking of David's, not the one I heard. Joshua. Joshua in his battle, they say it was genius that the way Joshua fought his battles in taking of the land or the inheritance that God had given them. Now, I'm bringing all of this out about studying of these wars. In 1 Corinthians, it tells us that these things were written before for our admonition and our forewarning and for our learning. So that Paul says that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our learning. So we're talking about spiritual warfare. So what's the best place to go to when we want to learn about warfare, but to some of the battles that were fought? And how were those battles won? How did God direct them and lead them? I say all of that not just for our study tonight, but for you. That when you find yourself in a predicament, whatever it might be, but especially in the area of spiritual warfare, go to the Word of God. And it's not just, you know, God sometimes will lead us hit or miss this, you know, open the Bible and God's going to give you scripture. I've had that happen to me. But normally, there's a little intentionality about, listen, I, I want to go and find out how did God lead the children of Israel in this particular area, this battle that they had. Or how did they take possession of the land that God had given to them? Or any question that you might have, it's in here. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is one of those battles. It's one of those battles where we learn, and it's kind of a little different than Joshua, where Joshua, except for the battle of Jericho, and, and they're similar there. How many know that they didn't have to lift a finger hardly? And the battle goes, they just marched around the walls. Well, this particular battle was the same. They didn't hardly have to lift a finger, but they, there were rules of engagement that won the victory for them. And I want to point out some of those rules of engagement as we get into this particular chapter. And the way we're going to do it is almost expository. So I'm going to start reading, and I'm going to go down through Second Chronicles. And I want you to, if you have a Bible, or if you have notes, that you can make some notations and, and hopefully it will be helpful to you when you find yourself in a battle. So we're in a war college tonight. And we have been for several weeks now talking about spiritual warfare and approaching it from the different angles. But in Second Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat is one of the main characters here. He's the king of Judah. The, the nation uh, of Israel, you could say, is split into two kingdoms. There are ten tribes that are known as the the Israel itself maintained the name Israel, and then there are two tribes of Judah. Uh, and it's Judah that Jehoshaphat is king at this particular time of the tribes, the two particular tribes that he is king over. So we're talking about Judah. I might mention Israel because it's, just, it's kind of you're so used to talking about Israel, but, but it is Judah. Now look at verse 1. Did it happen after? This and, and Josh Jehoshaphat, and I'll just make a note if, if you want to go back on your own, go back. Jehoshaphat stepped into a place where Israel had drifted away from Israel. Jehoshaphat literally tried to bring Israel back. Try, Jehoshaphat tried to bring Israel back into the relationship that God always wanted with the nation of Israel or Judah. 
And so he tried to reestablish some of that relationship and worship, et cetera, et cetera. How many know that any time that you make a step to get closer to the Lord, the enemy's going to attack you? That's exactly what happens here. He made these steps. He was leading Israel to come closer to the Lord. And any time you make a step to move in an area of victory in your life, whether it be in your marriage, uh, whether it be in a personal way with the Lord, or maybe your job, you're just saying, you, you just kind of made some statements, Lord, I, I dedicate my job to the Lord. You probably should expect that there's going to be, the enemy's just not going to lie down and let you just do it. I mean, you're going you're gonna to have to fight a battle. And I think one of the rules of engagement is that be aware that the enemy uh, is not just going to let you win your victories. And that you're going to have to be aware of the enemy and his tactics. So Jehoshaphat is making these moves. And then as a result of it, it happened after this that the people of Moab, which was continually an enemy of Israel, and the people of Am Ammon, and the others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are at uh, Hazazon Tamar, which is En Gedi, in the area of En Gedi. That's where David was. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. I studied that word fear, feared today. Uh, because at a first reading of that, you might think that there was a trembling on his part. I don't think it was so much it was a trembling on Jehoshaphat's part. But it says that he feared and set himself to seek the Lord. The word fear, the fear of the Lord, anytime you find the word the fear of the Lord, it's not a trembling in fear like you're fearful of a bear that comes out of the woods and at that particular moment their fear grips you. No, it's more, the interpretation is more of a, a respect. So when you talk about the fear of the Lord, it's a respect for Lord. It's that awesome awareness that he's a holy God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that awesome respect, that, that reverence that you have in your heart is the beginning of wisdom because when a person carries that reverence and respect, you know that that person has a desire to be close to the Lord. So he feared. So he so respected God that what does he do first? He sets his heart to seek the Lord. He sets his heart. So I'm already talking about some of these rules, and they're going to come out. I'm not going to say this is one, two, three, four, but we're just going to note some of these rules of engagement, is that he set his heart. Now, I want to add to that. When something hits you in your home, let's, well, let's say um, you, you go to work, you've been working at the job for 15 years, and all of a sudden you get word you go to work that you no longer have a job. There is a moment of time there, I don't care who you are, that there's some kind of fear that's going to grip your heart. That, that's just a, a natural response that we have because our frame is dust. I don't ever think, and I've learned this from my wife, is I don't ever think that that initial response should characterize any, it should say anything about our position. 
Does that make sense what I just said? Because it, it, we all could respond. It, it's it's what, what do you do with that initial response to bad news or something you didn't expect to hear? It could be, wow, how could this happen? It could be words said in those first minutes or hour that it just throw it through you. So you're responding in that way. But I don't think that characterizes who that person is and, and what kind of relationship they have or that they're a person that only walks in fear and doesn't really trust the Lord. It's that next, re it's how you take that from there. And, and this is what I learned from Cheryl, is that something might hit her when we talk about things, but man, she gets a hold of the Lord right away. And I think that's, all of us need to learn that, that we need to, you can have that initial response. Don't let it throw you to put you in such a, such a, a negative uh, uh, attitude or uh, uh, any negativity grab holding you that you can't move forward. It's like, what do you do next with it? No, Lord, we're still going to trust you. Might have lost a job, don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to trust you. So he said, Jehoshaphat did this. He feared and set himself to seek the Lord, or verse 3 now, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Here's another rule of engagement that's brought out here. Fasting is a way to win spiritual warfare. Now, I must confess as I was reading this and I said I'm going to have to say it, then I, I'm going to have to apologize because I don't have fasting as part of my life like I used to have fasting as part of my life. And you, you get away from it, and then, and, and I don't think you don't, it's not that I don't see the value of it. Uh, it maybe it is that, uh, I, maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe it's just that I like to eat. I, but there's a battle even to make a decision that you're going to fast. But when you realize the victory that comes and what is accomplished through fasting, that usually overrides even that, that desire to eat many times. But keep it in mind, we are in, in the month of January as we approach our transition time, January 22nd, we're going to call the church to a fast. Because I, I think that's what needs to be done, uh, especially such a, a juncture in our community and, and it's so important to us that we believe that if the church is going to pray and fast, we're going to see a real anointing come down for the years that God has ahead for us. So we've already talked about that. We're already setting our hearts to really how are we going to go about that as a community, as a church together. But fasting is definitely a, a part that if you're having a, a hang-up, you feel as though you're just not getting a breakthrough, that fasting, and fasting is not always, we're going to fast for, as the Bible, 40 days. Well, I, I, would, I would encourage you not to, on your first fast, ever fast for 40 days. Yeah, because, but whatever, fasting could be a lot of things. I, our uh, Zach uh, Melito, who is our senior high and director of our youth, they were talking about that they called their kids to fast, and then they had some of them write down how they approached the fast and what they did for fast. And it's amazing what a junior high kid will consider a fast. And you know what a fast is, and it truly is a fast, is that when you come home from school, you don't go to the refrigerator. It's like fasting, the fast was, I'm not going to eat anything between lunch and supper. And that's a fast. 
And if you know a teenager, if you have any kids probably in your house, you know that is a real sacrifice for them to not eat two meals before supper or something like that. Or electronics now. And they were, some of them would say, we're not going to touch our phones, you know. And how many know that that's a big fast for a young person today? Not to touch any electronic gear or, or have that. It's a huge fast. And it might be for some adults. So fasting is anything where you're denying the flesh, you're denying your own pleasure, that you really want to set your heart to re be reminded by the Spirit of God of why you're fasting. So it's a time of prayer at that particular time. Okay. So let's move on with this as, as we talk about some of these rules. So he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Obviously, Jehoshaphat had some influence already as he took over as king of people that were not serving God at all, and now they are. They were, they were quick to respond, realizing the difficulties. It's amazing that when the pressure is put on our lives, how we do seem to set aside everything else and do seek the Lord. Even as a nation ourselves, 9-11 or anything like that, there, there's, you'll, you'll hear the word God in prayer on the news more than you, you hear all year long. But it's unfortunate it has to come out of a crisis. It's unfortunate it has to come out of, uh, out of something so horrible, horrific as that, that would force us back. And the unfortunate thing is it doesn't last that long. You know, and, and we soon forget but certainly, when you get news that you don't have a job anymore, you're probably all ready to go and seek the Lord a little bit. So then Jehoshaphat, verse 5, stood in the assembly of Judah. This is an amazing account of this time in Judah's life. Uh, assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, listen to this prayer. Are you not the God in heaven? Learn from this prayer. Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Psalm 2. In your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel? As I was reading this today, I was thinking, was Jehoshaphat and the people praying to the Lord, or were they just praying to remind themselves of how victorious our God can be? Sometimes you just have to talk to yourself and remind yourself. David said, soul, why are you cast down? He actually was talking to himself. You have no reason to be cast down. Didn't God do this and this and this and this? So I think he's reminding himself of how powerful God is. Who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham your friend forever, and they dwell in it, have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now, there are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned 
from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your... Look at, look at that word, you're there. It's a real key in, in rules of engagement. Out of whose possession? Your. He said, this, God, this is yours. So I had an opening statement that said, it's not so much about us, it's about God. You see, they were coming and they were actually attacking what belongs, not necessarily just to the children of Israel or Judah, but to God. When the enemy comes against you, he's coming against something that belongs to God. You belong to God, he's coming against something that belongs to God. Your family, it's a possession that God has blessed you with. He's coming against his possession. It's something that he has laid claim to and the enemy is coming and trying to take what belongs to God. Now when you think about that, that puts everything in a new light. You have a whole new perspective. So it's not just they're coming to take what is mine. Lord, they're coming to take what belongs to you. You have given this to me. You have given me a job. If you want to change my job, that's okay. But if the enemy's coming to take what belongs to you and you've given to me, then, Lord, we rebuke him. But that stance of faith, faith that we're going to take. So it was yours that he said. But they turned from him and did not destroy them and throw us out of your. And even now in my Bible, I don't know if you're looking at your Bible, but it's a capital Y. It's a capital Y on your there. Your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. It says, Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon the prophets and the priests that were there. Uh, Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Medaniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and your inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but whose? God's. When we talk about spiritual warfare, I always try to keep in mind that this is God's battle. This is God's battle. This is a battle against God. It's against his supremacy. It's against his, his rule and his reign and his claim over all the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all they that dwell therein. The enemy is trying to take what belongs to God. An interesting verse in two, two verses, in both in Matthew and Luke, where, where Jesus during his ministry, and it, it talks about, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into the harvest. Notice what the words are. The Lord of the harvest. Now the harvest is all unsaved people. But at the same time, Pray that the Lord of the harvest. Too often we believe that, well, that belongs to the enemy. No, it doesn't belong to it. It belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and 
the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. It's not like there's part of it belongs to the enemy. Now, he's the prince of the power of the air of this world, but he's a prince. He's not a king. He is not the king. He is not the owner. God is still the owner of the harvest. Jesus came to buy back that which belonged to God. It was lost through sin and disobedience, but purchased it back, redeem it back that which belonged. And then, of course, everyone who submits to that in obedience by faith comes back into that relationship. Just so you note that, it, 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 it's his possession. And he said, listen, all you of Judah inhabitants, verse 15, of Jerusalem, for you, King Jehoshaphat, do not be afraid, was the word. Tomorrow, go down against them, verse 16. They will surely come up and, uh, by, the, by the brook and position yourself. Look at that. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now, there's two things that are here. Stand still, but go out. It wasn't just stand still and stay, but to go out. The position of standing still is still your heart. Still, stand still before the Lord. It's a position, it's a posture before the Lord. Lord, I'm standing still. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna allow my mind to go wild. I don't want my heart to be going in several different, and entertaining this and that. No, I'm gonna stand still position, posture myself before you, Lord. But then he says, then we're to go out. Go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then the Levites of the children of Israel, they stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning, and went out by the wilderness there. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he consulted with the people, he anointed those who should sing to the Lord and who would praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and they were saying this, praise the Lord. Say this with me. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. What was a key to the victory in this battle after we just read that? Praise. We don't realize that Psalm 2 that I read there is also quoted in the New Testament. And the word praise is used in the Old Testament, in the New Testament on that. Praise is a tool that I don't think we could ever put a value on the, on the value of praise itself. The simple act of praise. Why? Because praise lifts God, begins to lift God above the situation that you find yourself in. And as, as you begin to lift the Lord, your spirits are lifted up above the situation. And what you begin to see is exactly what, how Jehoshaphat was leading Judah to pray, is that God, you're, you're exalted. You're the God of the heavens. 
Lord, we exalt you above. You're the creator of all things. You're the one who established us in this land. You're the one who has given us this position, this, this possession as an inheritance to us. And as you, that, you would say a simple act of praise, but the, to praise already, the, as far as rules of engagement, you have just entered into engaging the enemy and being victorious over the enemy. By the simple acts of praise and worship to the Lord. It's more valuable than we think. I think if we would do more praise and exalting and worship of the Lord, we have to do less asking the Lord to do things for us. Just there's something that happens. It puts you. So do you think the Lord knows our needs? Absolutely. He, knew, he knows all of our needs. Do you think he knew that, that, that when you went to that job, you were going to be dismissed? Of course he does. He knows that he knows that, that that you would be getting that slip that would say you don't have a job anymore. So he already knows it. So what do we do? We give him the praise that he deserves. Spend time in giving him the praise that he deserves. Uh, look at this next verse. Then um, they went out before the enemy. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Amna. Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come up against Judah, and they were defeated. I want to stop here a moment and kind of maybe pull back that veil a little bit of spiritual warfare in the heavenly places. You have to understand that, that the enemy is the author of confusion. That, that his camp is not as organized as you think. There, there, there's, there is spheres of organization. We, we know that. Just like the angels in heaven, they have demons and, and uh, fallen angels that have, some have more authority than others. For instance, there are some demon activity, angels that have fallen angels that are authority over a whole nation or whole country. And then there are some that have been given authority over a city, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down. But one thing that they do that I'm beginning to realize the more I read the scriptures and that veil is pulled back is that they contest, they fight against one another all the time. I really believe that, that, the, that the devil himself is having a hard time keeping order in his own ranks. Because more than once you see where God, they set up ambushes and the enemy turned against themselves and they begin to slay one another in that camp. Gideon was another example. Before Gideon even got it, they begin to kill one another because they were in confusion. That is a rule of engagement I think you should keep in mind, that the enemy is not on top of things as much as you think he's on top of things. Now, I'm not saying that he's weak. He's the most subtle of all creatures, and you have to, there's a certain amount of awareness of, of what he can do, but I do believe that there's more confusion in his camp than God's camp for sure. For sure, to remember that, that this battle. So you find yourself in this warfare, and, and he would have you believe that, that he's on top of this and that, that you're, you're the underdog, and you're, he's, he can press you down, and he can rob you of your joy, all this Man, I'll tell you, when we begin to learn, if, if you look in the Scripture, man, that's not so true. 
I mean, listen, enemy, you're attacking me and you're trying to make me feel like I'm the underdog and I'm the loser in this battle. You've already lost the battle. You already have the, 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 Jesus has already defeated you on the cross of Calvary. So more taking this uh, approach of victory from the very beginning. Does that make sense what I just said there? I mean, this literally came to me this afternoon as I was going over this this particular uh, chapter that I, I think there's confusion in the enemy's camp. And, and because you, too, too often we see this fighting against one another. And we know we don't fight against flesh and blood. Where does it start? Principalities and powers. So if flesh and blood is turning against himself, the principalities and powers somehow have turned against and there was confusion there. Now, I don't say that I know exactly how that all works, but I think we see enough in the Scripture to know that there is that confusion there. And that they're contesting against one another. So they just to destroy they help to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking, verse 24, the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. Man, it's an amazing victory in battle that God and and how did God do it? He he used them to kill one another. They destroyed one another. It's, it's somewhat amusing that it would do this. So when Jehoshaphat's people came to take away their spoil so they could just move in and take the spoil that was there, it goes to the victor. They found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. I mean, isn't it an amazing thing? That what seemingly started out as a very difficult situation for Jehoshaphat and all the people, because they were stronger than them, except that God was on their side, turned it around, and they came out better on the other end of it because of it. And I believe you can come out better on the other end of all the battles that we face. And you're going to face battles. There's going to be that, that feeling. There's going to be times when we're driven to be prostrate. That's what they were, lay before the Lord, pray before the Lord. But that's a good thing because that's where we position ourselves before God, where we ought to be positioned. Because if everything is just going right and you're prospering all the time, pride and all other kind of things get set in. So as, the, as they returned in verse 27 to Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them, to go back to Jerusalem with what? Joy. It says with joy. They had great joy. They fought probably one of the hardest times in, in, in that, that history with Jehoshaphat now. But they came back with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So in spiritual warfare, we're not the losers. We are the victorious ones. We'll go through there's prayer, there's fasting, there's seeking the Lord, there's positioning ourselves, but we need to remember that the end result is, is there's victory. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments, harps, trumpets, to the house of the Lord, and the fear of God was on all the kingdom of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Gave him rest all around. I mean, 
who got, who got the glory in the end? God did. The, all the nations around them, God got the glory. And they said that the God of Israel is certainly the God of all creation. And that happened over and over. But it came as a result of a battle that took place. So that was his reign. That's all, the only place I wanted to take you tonight, those rules of engagement. That's a good one to turn to, but any one of them, when you find yourself in a battle, you find yourself seeking the Lord, is go to these stories and uh, read them and ask the Spirit of the Lord to show you some of the keys in the war college uh, as we're in a warfare, and it's, that's going to be continue until Jesus Christ comes back. Let's all stand. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.